Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Almost 40% of self-employed Canadians are women. Of all the small businesses in the country, 16% are run by women. The majority of startups in Canada are launched by women. It's impressive, but being a businesswoman is tough. 80% of women use their own money to start a business because banks and other traditional lenders aren't always helpful. Then there are the biases, stereotypes, and a host of barriers that men don't face. So why does this group of entrepreneurs face so many hurdles? And what do those challenges and successes look like? My guests today will answer those questions and more. Devin Girard is the organizer of the Strike Up Conference taking place online on March 4th. It started locally as an initiative for women entrepreneurs in Ontario. But with more than 2,000 participants from every province and territory in Canada, and many more from around the world, it has exceeded all expectations. Listen to how this happened and what will be taking place. I'm so pleased to have with me today Wendy Curtis, Executive Director of the Northumberland Community Futures Development Corporation, and Devin Girard, the Women's Entrepreneurship Strategy Program Lead at the Northumberland Community Developments Corporation. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. What is the Strike Up Conference and why is it significant? Maybe, Devin, you could start off. Sure. Um, The Strike Up Conference is really about elevating to um, all women entrepreneurs right across Ontario the strength and investment that the federal government through FedDev Ontario has made in women entrepreneurs. So our goal at Northumberland is to showcase the work of the entire ecosystem. We have 18 other partners who um, share different pools of funding and offer different program services under the women entrepreneurship strategy. And our goal was to really bring all of these programs together, elevate and highlight the work that's being done across the entire West ecosystem and ensure that women entrepreneurs across Ontario and across Canada know the resources that are out there know the support that's out there and um, are able to, to spend a day really investing in themselves and take a day for learning and how to strengthen their business. Is this a first or is this something that has been done before? This is the first time for the conference. So we're thrilled and excited about the work that we've done in, in such a short period of time. So we set this goal um, in the middle of the fall last year to pull together a conference to inspire women entrepreneurs, to give them a, a day of both learning and hearing inspirational, motivational messages while also providing them with tangible skills, different workshops and different mentors to learn from. So this is our first year. We're thrilled with the response and we can't wait to grow the conference and see what it'll turn into in years to come. Tell us a bit more about the conference itself. 
Yeah. So um, at the Strike Up conference this year, we've got 18 other West partners, like I said, who are helping to work with us on programming for the event. Um, we also have another 102 promotional partners. So these are partners who we've engaged with from right across Canada, including universities, knowledge institutes, to boards of trade, all various organizations who have a commitment to growing and um, preserving the skills of entrepreneurs. They've all come on board and said, we, we stand behind this conference. We want to do as much as we can to encourage as many women entrepreneurs to attend. Um, throughout the day itself, we have 31 uh, people who are speaking. So this includes our high profile keynote speakers. We've got Nanjit Minhas speaking and Amber Mack speaking, um, as well as several panelists and workshop leaders. And then we're running a series of eight different mentor meetups as well. So that will also allow participants a chance to go into rooms, have specialized conversation on topics of interest to them, uh, ranging from protecting intellectual property to increasing sales strategies to how they can really create a social impact. So it's over seven hours of uh, conference content that we're producing, and it will be accessible for everyone um, to, to be able to view for the next um for the next 12 months on a conference website as well. Uh, just a couple of details. Um, how many people have signed up for this? Um, so right now we're over 2000 registrants. So we are thrilled at what a little community such as Northumberland is able to achieve when we uh, work together um, to do something like this. So our goal is to continue to grow that number and to grow that number in years to come. Um, we're also really proud of the national participation we have. So we have women entrepreneurs attending from every province and from every territory. Um, so we are thrilled, like we said, to be able to have such a national reach for a first year event. Um, interestingly, we also have almost 20 countries now who are also um, have participants attending. So that's been really exciting for us to see the result of the work and the interest that's out there from women entrepreneurs across the globe who are eager to learn more, um, eager to grow their skills in an environment that's designed and designated to really support them. Now, the two keynote speakers, for those who may not be familiar with those names, would you mind telling us a little bit about each one of them? Sure. Um, Manjeet Minhas is perhaps best known these days for her role on CBC's Dragon's Den. Um, so she is a, a dragon and an investor, um, but she's also the founder or co-founder of the sixth largest brewery in the world. Um, so this is with her brother. So she has a great inspirational story to share with us about how um, women entrepreneurs can break barriers and succeed in traditionally male dominated industries. So she shares with us really her entrepreneurial journey, stumbling blocks that were in the way for her, and how she was able to overcome significant challenges to create such a, a global empire. Amber Mack is a well-known technology host. So Amber is frequently um, called upon by all of our major TV networks for her expert knowledge on how to utilize and best expand technology. So one thing we've learned from many, many of our uh, women entrepreneurs this year was the pivotal role technology has played in helping them, you know, survive their business and grow their business in many cases um, through COVID and through the pandemic. So Amber shares a lot of great lessons with our entrepreneurs about how to leverage technology to continue to grow and expand uh, their businesses. 
I wonder too the the advantage of having the pandemic. Uh, while there haven't been many advantages, having a, a virtual conference versus you know, one of those physical ones where you could have all gathered in Toronto at the convention center and tried to pull this off. Do you think there has been an, uh, an advantage in being able to do this virtually? Uh, certainly our advantage has been our reach. So we are thrilled that we are able to include women entrepreneurs from every province and every territory. Um, that wasn't in our original scope when we had, had set out to achieve this goal. And we couldn't be more excited that there is that hunger really from women entrepreneurs to spend that day of learning. Another key advantage for um, your listeners to be aware of is with the digital conference, that conference material is available to stay archived and for them to view at a later date. So if, um, as long as people register um, by March the 4th, they are able to go back and attend a different workshop that they perhaps weren't able to attend live on that day. So we view it as a real legacy resource for women entrepreneurs. And like many of us, the more times you read a book, you pick up different learnings. So uh, we really hope that the more time women entrepreneurs are able to um, watch this programming, they're able to absorb different tips. So. There are, there are some advantages of these digital conferences, that's for sure. And I understand it's all free as well. It is. So we are thrilled this year to be supported by FedDev and have this conference available free to women entrepreneurs. Um, we certainly are big believers that, that this is a great resource. This is a great day of learning for them and really will help expand their skills, motivate them to keep going and hopefully um, provide that virtual interaction and networking, which still does happen and allows them to make some meaningful connections with other women entrepreneurs as well. Wendy, uh, the literature talks about it in terms of advancing women's economic empowerment. Would you mind explaining what that means? Well, I guess we all have opinions on that, Rob. But when, when I look at it, I look at it as... Um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion. I know that you're aware of this, but the, the current climate we're in really, really impacting women entrepreneurs in a way that maybe uh, was unanticipated with the COVID pandemic. And a lot of them, and we talked, you and I talked recently also with some women entrepreneurs, and it's amazing the kind of impacts on them that the last 12 months have been. You know, they're trying to run their business trying in many cases to also handle the family responsibilities and, and the families themselves have been in a lot of turmoil with children at home or in some cases job losses. And it's been a tremendous amount on uh, impacting women entrepreneurs. And so I look at the conference as maybe perfectly timed with a lot of the wonderful content to make them feel a little bit more uh, supported and maybe that's where the empowerment comes from. Um, Devin, I know, has been talking quite extensively with many of the entrepreneurs. And, and I recently were talking to a few together. And they had a common theme. And their common theme, the ones I was speaking to, was um, the kind of pressures on them for the last little bit of time. They had uh, winning strategies coming through. A lot of it was their attitude. You know, a lot of it was recognizing that they... Uh, they have to pivot, they have to react. This is a business problem that's outside of their control, but what is within their control is, is their response. Um, and, and they were tired. At the same time, you know, the question was, well, how did you motivate yourself? 
And and a lot of what Devin and, and the balance of the team are presenting at the conference will be on those motivating pieces. Will the, the goal is to inspire and make women feel empowered from an attitudinal perspective. But there's also a tremendous opportunity for uh, women to be presented all of the 19 different partners and the kinds of support programs that they uh, are offering, which is part of the empowerment piece as well. So there are supports out there. The thing is, we, we often, as, as, as humans, there's often so much out there you can't hear it all at the same time. Like you, you got to break through the clutter of it. And in this case, um, the conference will have a complete outline of what kind of supports are out there for women entrepreneurs. And that's part of the empowerment is to break through. Here's a chance. This could be a good mix for you or a good match for you. And we, uh, we highly encourage you to explore it. Devin, I noticed in the literature, too, that they talk about building capacity within the entrepreneurship ecosystem and closing gaps in service uh, of women entrepreneurs. Can you explain the gap and why it needs to be closed? Well, it's it's no secret that women face a gender bias in pretty much um, every stream of, of opening a business from we've all heard stories of women going into banks and, and feeling like they're being judged or being rejected um, based on their gender. That was a key project for us at Northumberland with our, our launch of the Delia platform, for example. So uh, we developed our own fintech platform that took out a gender bias of a loan application. So what this did was it allowed women to feel that they could apply for a loan without any of those gender biases going on. And in real time, in less than five minutes, get an approval uh, or get a pre-approval message as to whether or not their loan had been successful. So I don't think women entrepreneurs are ever asking for anything more or to be given something different. They just want to be on equal footing and we couldn't be more proud of the work that's being done through our women entrepreneurship strategy, the entire ecosystem and seeing levels of support that are up there to just have women feel like, like they're on that same footing. Wendy, what is the women's entrepreneurship strategy and how did it come about? Well, the federal government, um, I guess it's coming up two years ago, I think it's two years ago, two and a half years ago, made an announcement at, on a national level that they would put, I believe the number was $5 billion across the nation through various regional development agencies um, in support of women entrepreneurship. And, and there were two, com two streams of that, basically. One was funds from the regional development agencies. In our case, you've heard Devin mention FedDev Ontario. That's the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario. And that's who we work with. But there are several other on a, uh, across the nation um, that are geographically based. And those regional development agencies... Uh, they had funds that would go themselves directly to entrepreneurs in support. It, of course, they had to apply like every other government program. And then um, the agency is dealing with those entrepreneurs directly. And then the agency also set aside funds to be able to build an ecosystem. And we were very fortunate to be part of that. We were, there were 19 organizations chosen in Southern Ontario to receive funding. And, and that funding was intended for us to service the um, entrepreneurs, the women entrepreneurs. 
But also in our case, it's more than just servicing directly the entrepreneur. It's also in our case, and I think Devin mentioned this, we built the story or built the, the proposal that we wanted to develop something that to our knowledge wasn't out there in Canada. And that was a FinTech product, financial technology product that removed the gender uh, biases. So we built that entire FinTech product and launched it. It's still in a pilot where we are part of a four year program. And so we're almost up to second year, the conclusion of that. So we built that and, and the FinTech basically says, it, it focuses on the business um, and, and the financial side of the business and, and the banking history and these kinds of things like the business plan versus um, who might be sitting in front of the banker. So it's all online and the system is still in a pilot program, but the system will come back and it'll say on a pre-approval, yay or nay. That was our project. And on top of that, we're, we are dealing with uh, women entrepreneurs in, in a, what we call wraparound services. So the conference is layered over top of that. And, and we're very, very pleased. That wasn't part of our original proposal to FedDev, uh, but it became part of our proposal uh, last summer. And then Devin came on stream with us in September and has taken it forward from there. And as Devin said, like, it's remarkable. Like we're, we're like blown away by the level of interest on a national basis and also the other countries. I mean, we didn't target other countries, but that's just the world of social media. And, um, but right across the nation, we've touched the pulse. And I think it's important to understand that women, on, women entrepreneurs, as Devin said, they just want an equal. They don't, they don't want something the next guy's not gonna get. They just want to be pursued or perceived as equal to. Women tend to be risk adverse. Uh, so, for example, it may be like it may be appropriate for the business to take on a little bit more debt, meaning like some debt isn't bad debt, like some debt is good debt. So we invest in growth, but women generally are risk adverse and a little bit more they're, uh, loath to take on debt. Um, and and yet sometimes good debt can actually drive business growth which creates more jobs and more economic wealth for the nation and, and, and wealth, of course, for the entrepreneur. So there's just tendencies of uh, women that tend to be a little bit different than uh, their counterparts. I want to come back to that in a minute. The, the website talks about women leading the economic recovery, and no doubt it is a, a very stirring sentiment. But what are you saying about women and leadership in our economy? Can you explain why that is something that needs to be put out there? Well, why why can't or why wouldn't women lead the economic recovery? I think that's that's a, a an interesting question to ask. I think that we face decades of the assumption being, um, you know, men taking the leadership role or or men are the ones starting the business and being out of the household. And we have seen such steady growth of women entrepreneurs now who most of us had to take that step back when the COVID pandemic happened. And we are the first to stand behind these women to say, we are here to support you. Um, we have services, we have training, we have funding opportunities, and we are here to help you land on your feet and to re-energize our Canadian economy. 
I think it's, it's an incredible um, opportunity for women to be the ones leading um, the country out of this economic recovery. And we really want to do all we can. Women tend to start businesses that are in small or the medium-sized range. But I notice as part of the conference, there seems to be a lot of talk about scaling up a business or growing a business. Why do women tend to start smaller enterprises? And secondly, why do you think this is? Well, there's, there's first of all, on the, at the conference, there's actually two streams. There are uh, scale-up um, for those that are interested in pursuing that. And then there's also more of a startup kind of flavor of, across some of it. But in terms of answering your question, I think that there's some women uh, see uh, starting a business in a small manner. They're not necessarily thinking bigger and they're not necessarily dreaming bigger when they begin. They're seeing it more as fitting into uh, their total life and their plan for flexibility to maybe be in their household with kids and you know support their family and so on. They're seeing it more as job creation for themselves, maybe hiring one or two other people. And, and that's more historical in nature. And that would be one of the reasons why historically women tend to gravitate to uh, service industry or uh, small retail and not all, of course, but there, there's a higher concentration of that. And so in part of the, um, as I understand it, the women's entrepreneurship strategy is to embrace all of that but also nudge it a little bit forward to be uh, women to feel as though that they can be part of the economies that are perhaps more innovation oriented, more global oriented, and create those kinds of opportunities that are bigger than our local market. Um, and I think that's part of this underlying premise behind the women's entrepreneurship strategy, not exclusively, but in part. So I think that's a good thing. But you know, when you ask me a question like that, Rob, I think about one particular entrepreneur who, you know, I'm obviously I'm not going to say who, but I met this person years ago and she had an extraordinary uh, global opportunity for her business. And um, she declined it for, and her, I recall her husband calling me and, and asking me uh, if I could do anything to encourage her to do that. And, and, you know, we talked a bit, but one of the reasons why she declined it was because she had several children and she wanted to be able to be at the school pretty much every day or whatever it was per week when she read to the children in their classrooms. And she was concerned that if the business grew too fast that she wouldn't be able to do those duties. And so um, whether people agree or disagree, it doesn't make any difference to me. It's more of an example of how women are trying to balance many things and they make choices, choices that are important to them and whatever the realities might be that are important to them. That was her choice. So it's a long song, maybe a long answer to your question, but it's just a recognition that um, Scale-up is important and the, and the supports are there, but the entrepreneur, woman or otherwise, has to want to do those things. 
Devin, it's it's really interesting when you do look at the stats, uh, when he's already mentioned some, but when you look at the numbers, 70% of women fall into starting their own business, whereas men, they tend to take different approaches and, and they really don't sort of, it isn't an accident for a lot of them. It's, it's very much a planned thing. Why do you think that is with women entrepreneurs? Well, a lot of the women entrepreneurs who um, we work with, their businesses have came to be, um, there was a problem that they were experiencing and women know how to solve problems. <laughs> you know, we, we don't sit around and, and wonder and wait for someone else to solve it for us. And quite a few of, of the women we do work with um, that's how their business started. And they thought, if I'm experiencing this problem, someone else is. And if I'm not the one to solve it, someone else is going to, to make money on solving it. And it's been incredible to see um, the response. And I think that's what has driven these women to be so passionate about the work that they're doing, is there was a personal reason and a personal message for doing it. But they're pretty proud of themselves for, for solving these problems that we've been experiencing. Devin, I also am curious too, and you, because you've been working within this environment for such a long time, I, I'm sure you have a, an insight into it. And that is some of the barriers that women face when starting a business. I, I know there's things like cultural stereotypes. You've talked about you know, lack of encouragement, lack of female-friendly pedagogy, an absence of role models, a lack of mentoring and sponsorship, a culture of incubators and accelerators and sort of the bro culture associated sometimes with technologies and, and other aspects of the business. As you've been working uh, within the women's entrepreneurship strategy, what are you seeing and what are the stories you're hearing? I mean, is this stuff true or is it, is it just things that people make assumptions about? I, I think it's all true. And I think the similarities and everything you've touched on there, Rob, is um, how that leads to a lack of confidence in women. And, um, you know, we know statistics about how many times, you know, a woman has to be asked, for example, to run for office. Um, it's 21 times, you know, for them to consider that over asking a male counterpart. And I think the same is for starting a business. Um, it's the confidence piece that women sometimes we have solutions to these problems that we face. And for us, it seems so simple. Um, but taking the plunge and doing that is tough because of all of those barriers that you have mentioned. There are impediments that women face that plain and simple men don't. And our goal is to really try and empower these women to, to have that confidence, to take that next step and to know that they are supported. They are, there are mentors out there who, who want to help them, who want to nurture them. There are investors who want to see them succeed. And we really couldn't be more proud of the work that we're doing to try and amplify the voice of women entrepreneurs and know that those services are around for them. Wendy, you were talking earlier about giving the women the ability to use this software approval process uh, this technology solution, FinTech, to apply for loans. And I, I was surprised to learn that about 80% of women use their personal finances to start a business. Why is that? And how easy is it to get funding to start a business when you are a woman beyond just applying to banks? Oh, I think it, that's a, it's an ongoing challenge, Rob. 
And that's one of the things that we are trying to do. And there's various other organizations. So for example, when we launched our Delia platform, the FinTech platform, uh, there were a couple learnings there. First of all, we launched at, uh, I forget the actual minimum loan size, and uh, we got off pretty good, and then COVID hit. And of course, COVID, like that, everybody was reeling at that point, man or woman, didn't make any difference. I mean, everybody was really trying to figure out what was going on. So we withdrew the product. Um, but we relaunched uh, in the fall period, but we reduced the amount. So the amount came down to something that was quite, uh, you know, $15,000 quick and easy loans. We were shocked at the level of response that was immediate. And one of the most common themes that came back was that's the wonderful spot, $15,000, $20,000. We're comfortable with that. The minimum loan size is a 50 to 100. We're not, we're, that scares us. We don't want to do that. And so there was that part too, which speaks to what is something we already spoke to about risk adverse. And fifteen thousand dollars is not a massive amount of money, but it's enough to get somebody, you know, on a pathway and get them started. So there's so there's that piece. There's other. Um, there's a lot of research out there, for example, on uh, investment bankers and so on, like you know, the, sort of the equity side, um, venture capital. And if and women are incredibly low funded relative to males, and a lot of that is just the in biases of that sector. We're also one of our partners at the conference, which maybe Devin can talk more to, is um, CEO, and they have a unique financing uh, methodology across the nation that I think is pretty nifty, and it's more private money that's going. Um, like circles of support to women entrepreneurs. Um, but basically it is a um, private money where people are uh, sharing and pooling money in order to support uh, women entrepreneurs. And again, it's a different methodology, but it's, it's a different style of lending. And so when you do go, like if you're a man, for example, you're trying to scale up a business, um, let's say a high tech business or whatever, and you're going in for millions of dollars of venture capital, you're going to get the nod a whole lot faster than a woman will, a whole lot faster. So what is that all about? I don't know. We could sit and argue till the cows come home, but the reality is it's gender bias. You know, it really is. And you know, Rob, one of the things that we did, every single staff member at Northumberland CFTC has taken the, uh, Devin helped me, the- Inclusivity it, trainings. Yeah. And it is available on um, Minister Monsap's website, which is uh, the status for women. It's free. And we've took the training and, and I mean, you know, I am a woman. And I was shocked at how much learning I actually did by taking this training. It's uh, gender-based analysis plus. It's on the Ministry for the Status of Women's website. We can all take it for, it's like half an hour, an hour, hour and a half, whatever. But I mean, as I went through the training, I thought, oh my goodness. Like I thought my lens was pretty broad, but it's broader now that I've taken that training. And so when we talk about biases, we don't necessarily mean to have that. It's just like, it's just sort of the culture we have been exposed to in the past. And the business culture is generally biased. 
it's not like people will sit there and, and uh, be determined about it. It just is. And so what we're trying to do is work around that. That's interesting, Wendy, that you mentioned that because, Devin, I wanted to ask you about this. The diversity of the panels at the conference is really striking, but yet diversity amongst women entrepreneurs is a challenge. And so what is being done to help uh, the wide range of women from various cultural, racial, economic, and social backgrounds to becoming business people? And how is that reflected in the conference? Um, well, in the conference, through many of our West partners, there are various levels of programming that support um, diverse groups of individuals. So we have um, a couple of our um, West partners who are focused on Indigenous investments and Indigenous learnings, for example, and how to work with the Indigenous community. Um, we also have um, the entire uh, women's Enter, uh, Women of Ontario Social Enterprise Network, who's also another West recipient. So um, there's varying degrees of, of levels of support for different underrepresented groups. At Northumberland, we took the approach early on to ensure the conference was as accessible as possible. Um, and I think we're one of the few conferences to have it fully um, translated with simultaneous um, deaf interpretation and French translation. So we're proud of the efforts that we've made for some traditionally underrepresented um, women entrepreneurs to ensure it is as accessible as possible for them. Um, I will say though, Rob, to date, so we're just over 2000 conference attendees here with about 10 days to go and 49% um, of our attendees have self-identified as a woman of minority. Um, so either a black woman, a visible minority, a newcomer woman, or a woman with a disability or a member of the LG, um, LGBTQ community as well. So we are proud of the outreach um, that the conference has had on traditionally underrepresented groups. And we certainly are encouraged to see that high number of women entrepreneurs um, registering for it as well and seeking out those entrepreneurial support services. I, I found it quite fascinating that 40% uh, of Indigenous women are self-employed which uh, is, I guess, slightly higher than the Canadian average. So I, I think that speaks to your point around Indigenous women being uh, entrepreneurial in spirit and, and also making up a, a larger portion of the, of the business community. But that also brings me to rural and farming women that make up a significant portion of women entrepreneurs. Now, there's a long history of women making significant contributions to farm and rural economies, uh, Wendy, what do you see happening in the rural areas for women? Well, the first of all, um, on the conference right now, we're also tracking uh, rural attendance, Rob, and I think we're somewhere between fifteen and twenty percent, and and so we're pleased about that. And in, in terms of an inaugural year, that's a good thing. But in terms of um, continuing to push that forward, I think we need to continue to do that. And in the sense of, if we think about the farming community, for example, the farming community has some supports from, you know, other sectors of government. They're very powerful farm credit in Canada and all the rest of it. But I also look at that and I think I look at the farming community as actually a business community. I mean, anybody that's running a farm, it's actually a very complex business. Right. And we all know that. 
it's not like, I mean, if you look at it from a business perspective and how do we help those um, business owners to move forward, I think that there's all kinds of opportunities to help them to also embrace innovation, things like agri-innovation and, and, and uh, those kinds of concepts. And we can do that as well. Um, Rob, one thing I'd like to add, um, prior to, to joining the Northumberland team, I did actually work with women um, entrepreneurs in the farm community um, with a farm succession planning. And it is incredible to see the change that has happened in even the past decade in terms of women and daughters who now want to be a part of family farms and including and taking over family farms or coming back to rejoin the family farm. So I think similar to the movement that we're seeing with the growth of women entrepreneurs across the country, it is translating into the farming community in numbers that I don't think the average person is familiar with. I know certainly in the Coburg area, you've got a great example of Burnham Farms. Um, their daughters are heavily um, involved in the day-to-day -day operations and the succession of that farm stand itself. So there's some real tangible examples of, of strong women we're seeing in making their moves in the egg industry as well. Now, Devin, as people might be listening to this, they may be interested in joining. Is there still a capacity for people to join? And if they're interested in signing up, what should they do? Absolutely. Um, we encourage anyone who's interested in, in learning about the conference or hearing more about it to register at strikeup.ca. It's a very simple registration process and anyone who registers before March 4th will have access to the entire conference content for one full year. So even if you aren't able to sit and attend the entire conference that day on March 4th, please register, please encourage your family, your friends to register. And we can't wait to hear all of your feedback from this event. Devin Girard, Wendy Curtis, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. That was Devin Girard, Women's Entrepreneurship Strategy Lead for the Northumberland County Futures Development Corporation, and Wendy Curtis, Executive Director of Northumberland Community Futures Development Corporation. I want to thank both my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in. And I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.